0: The following program is paid for by Rudy Wealth Management.
1: Good morning, and welcome to Paul Rudy's On the Money. You're invited to be part of today's show. Call 356-9397. Opinions and views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station.
2: And now, Paul Rudy's On the Money. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Paul Rudy's On the Money, first show of the year. Delighted to be here you know and michael was talking about it's going to be a windy day i hope he wasn't referring to us i don't think there's a lot of wind in here anyway uh thanks for listening and thanks for tuning in uh we do have dr fred gertz on the phone with us today i'll get to you dr fred in a minute i'm here also with david rudy certified financial planner professional and retirement income certified uh professional as well uh, david Uh, there we go hey we're here now I, was really I was about ready to start singing. You guys don't want that. You don't want to that. that would
3: wreck a new year. That's I, for I sure. I think the music was in your head, Paul. Oh,
2: you guys didn't hear it? <laughs> I was pretty sure I heard it. As I said, we have Dr. Gertz on the phone here. We'll get to him in a minute. I have David Rudy, who works with me at Rudy Wealth Management, and Ryan Repko, who also works with me at Rudy Wealth Management as an advisor. Dr. Fred, can you hear me? Fred? Do I have to press the button? I bet I do. Dr. Fred, are you with us? I'm trying to get Doctor Fred on there. I'll try him one more time. I'll press Doctor Fred. Are you with us today? Uh, we'll go back to that. Uh, looks like maybe we dropped him. Anyway, guys, uh, you know, along this time of year, of course, we got a lot to talk about today, and you know, we're probably going to try to emphasize. Uh, let's face it: the last uh, month of December was not too pleasant in the stock and bond markets. Really, last year was a tough year, toughest year in my 35 years in the business about the only asset class that had a positive return um last year was cash. So I don't think I've in my 35 years had a year where just nothing worked but cash. So it was a, it was a tough year. Um the broad US market ended up down the year 6 or 7% for the year. If you're in a global portfolio it's been worse. I would say that a a global portfolio that obviously invest outside of just the U.S. large-cap market. You probably actually went into a bear market, which is defined as a 20% decline, at least. Uh, When we refer to bear markets, uh, the typical bear market will be about, you'll see about a third of your stock market money seemingly disappear. I say seemingly disappear because uh, it really doesn't happen. Uh, One of the things that, and it's kind of a theme of my newsletter that I just wrote and David you liked it was well all you and you kinda of brought it up you said well dad all you have to do is wait and you get all that money they think you lost which really we don't use the word l- "loss." We always the temporary decline but money seemingly disappears all you have to do is wait and when you really think through that it kinda of sounds cute but in reality that's the price uh, that's the price you pay you just if you wait and nobody can tell you when or how long you're gonna have to wait history can give us some guidelines but there, that is the good news for long-term investors. But lifetime investors is probably a better way to say it.
1: I think the key to that is you have to fundamentally believe that the value of companies and therefore their stock prices will increase over time. And I would never say what time that will be. Like you Don't said, open the window. it can be a long period of time. Yes, But eventually, i I just have complete faith that companies will continue to increase their profits over time and their stock prices will be increased to reflect that.
2: Yeah, but an awful lot of uh, time and effort is is spent. I mean, look, if you want the lifetime uh, strong returns, historically at least, uh, the ownership of the great companies of America and the world have given us, somewhere around 7% net of inflation. Uh, and that's not me saying that's what the deal is going forward, but from an historical perspective it gives us some guidelines. Um, it just means you have to put up with the unpredictability of those outcomes in the near term. And, and they could be quite uh, unpredictable depending on where you are, even within that stock market. Um, of course, a lot of it was centered around, and this is what I'm glad to have Fred on the show from Dallas, Texas. Uh, uh, Dallas, last. Uh, can you hear me, Paul? I can. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you fine. Great. I'm not actually in Dallas, I'm in, in between. So. Oh, okay. Uh,
2: so you know a lot of the uh, fireworks last month Fred and they were pretty sharp it was a pretty sharp decline in the broad us market and the global markets uh really seemed to center around this theme of a glo- uh, global slowdown but the word recession would just came up every other minute and i'm having a hard time squaring that risk when i look at the actual data but particularly the most recent data i'm having a real hard time squaring this idea that there's a recession right around the corner and that therefore stock prices are just a leading indicator and basically telling us that there's a recession. What am I missing?
0: I don't think you're missing much. Uh, I think it's a combination of the uncertainty at the uh, uh, national level, along with this uh, fear that at some point, uh, somewhere sometime there'll be a recession. So again, uh, the thousand point drop coincided with uh, some uh, things happening in the White House withdrawal from uh, uh uh uh, syria that sort of thing in addition to the fear of a recession and all of a sudden it turned around in in one day because of the uh strong job news so again i think the actual data uh suggests that uh suggests that uh things are going pretty well in fact i just uh uh, wrote a short piece about the fact that the illinois economy is actually much better than people are giving it credit for and that the fact there's kind of a strange thing that uh the governor who was running for re-election was talking about how bad the economy was under his tenure, when in fact it, it uh, recovered fairly well during that period of time. So again, I think the, the real news, the, the numbers actually are better than, than people's fears.
2: I even look at, the, I was looking at a quarterly basis, looking at job growth, uh going back since the second quarter of 2017 we had 473,000 then 553 then 556 then 632,000 then 634 623 and 670 that really doesn't suggest any slowdown uh in job creation that normally precedes a recession to me i just don't get where they're getting that and then, when I look at in fact, it appears to be accelerating, not decelerating, and then, when I look at workers' wages, Fred, they rose in the most recent report uh four tenths of one percent just in a month that's a that's a pretty good annual return and are up three point two percent from a year ago and then I looked at automakers, Americans bought cars and light trucks at seventeen and a half million annual rate in december that's the fastest pace since November of two thousand and seventeen that those all these things seem to undermine this recession theory that there's a that, that consumers are somehow under stress that's just not how consumers under stress and economies under stress behave is that fair to say
0: I think so the the uh, Christmas season was relatively strong it seems like almost every year uh, people uh, say that it wasn't as good as the uh, the retailers expected but this year I think was an exception again uh, there is this uh, kind of uh, clicking uh, or, or talk uh, clock that's uh ticking in the, in the future that we're close to 10 years of expansion. And again, uh, most times expansions don't last a lot, lot longer than that. There's nothing automatic. It's not like, uh, uh, it has to end after 10 or 11 or 12 years. But again, uh, the economy has been expanding for quite a while now and it's not surprising. It might slow down a little bit. So I'm in the future, but that's not the, the same as a recession. So again, I think it's just a combination of all the fears about the uncertainty at the national level, the political, Turmoil, some of the issues about trade, those sort of things uh, make it difficult for people to accept the good news.
2: Yeah. Well, it's certainly been a, sh- a sharp decline and it's painful, and investors don't like it. And uh, I spent the whole year 2017, you guys know this, uh, we did it on Fred probably every two weeks on the radio show in some format, uh, what I call the lifeboat drills, which is really just to try to emotionally prepare people ahead of time. Uh, that's the key if, if they're if they're not kind of immunized ahead of time before the decline the the inevitable decline Though we we might say it's inevitable. We have no sense of timing from that standpoint uh, Doesn't stop most of the industry from trying to time it, but uh, uh, We sp- I spent f- uh, four newsletters in a row in 2017 even the first one in 2018 basically saying look it's been a while since we've had even a modest 10% correction or even a five percent correction, 2017 was extraordinary low volatility or fluctuation year and i I kept reminding my clients quarter after quarter that look uh, th- there's a certain deal if we want to achieve the higher expected returns that come with the ownership of the great companies of, of America and the world. We need to understand that there's that unpredictability component of it, and it's been a while since we've had our feelings hurt. And it probably seemed a little bit strange in 2017. It was a very strong up market year. And all through that year, I'm telling clients, look, be emotionally and mentally prepared for the next decline. Uh, I didn't I didn't try to time it. I didn't try to put any magnitude on it. Just emotionally be prepared because I have found, guys, that surprise is the mother of panic. And when people are panicking, it's too late. So you have to get to them before they even uh, have that ability or you know have that time frame to panic and i spent an awful time and i think uh guys i think that explains why we've had one or two people out of a pretty large number of families uh that have really contacted us with any uh you know significant concern at all or should i be concerned guys uh and maybe we maybe we were able to immunize people effectively and i like to think so at least it looks like our clients are but we certainly don't like to uh minimize the psychological it's a punch in the gut when you see uh seemingly 10 or 15 or 20% of your money seemingly disappear it can there's actually a physical reaction that goes uh through people uh and it's not pleasant and and again it's this aversion we're wired uh you know you have to survive if you know in order to make it out and to do well you have to survive first and i think so much of this surrounds our fight or flight mm-hmm. um you know just primal nature of surviving so it just it strikes me that you know our message has always been it's in the best interest for investors i think it's it's, it's demonstrably uh it's it, you ob- objectively and uh demonstrably uh the best interest of investors is to basically just stay the course Uh, Play the long game. I hate to use the word long game. I like to think of play the lifetime game. Even if you're 60 years old or 70 years old in retirement, between a husband and a wife or a partner and a partner, uh, I guess these days it's it's more complete to say, uh, one of the two may live another 10 or 20 or 25 years. So we always think in terms of lifetimes. But yet most people opt to try to protect their capital. And I think that trade-off, which it's called the devil's bargain it goes a long way of explaining why most investors really end up with a pretty pathetic lifetime return BlackRock did a study of investors over the last 20 years where they showed at least in their data shows that the average investor earned about two percent per year on their investments during a period when the uh, gross rate of return for the broad US stock market was somewhere around eight or nine percent And and we see that every day walk through our doors on the front end of our initial meetings, don't we? Yeah.
1: One thing that, that I was going I think to... also, uh, ahead, I think for... people
0: also have to, uh, people have to steel themselves for possibly uh, a longer term period. Uh, again, the, the market uh, goes down a thousand points. It doesn't necessarily recover in, in two days after that. We may be talking about months or even sometimes uh, a year or more. So the, the last uh, 2011 was really a short kind of downturn. And so it may be that people are not used to the reversal uh, maybe taking some time rather than being almost instantaneous.
2: I think that's a good point. There is no clear uh, evidence that, oh, this is how stock markets bottom. You can expect this. You can expect this. They, they're they all over the, the map. And we can never – What we like to tell clients we can't tell you how it's going to get better or when it's going to get better, but only that it will get better. And you're right. It's This is – is what I call it. It's the long game. Um, And and I think we have to be prepared for that. We're certainly not here suggesting uh, that, hey, we've seen the worst of it. In fact, you guys have heard me when I do talk to clients. uh, I'm always very careful and I'm always, you can certain to hear hear me say this, look, we may not have seen the worst yet. It could get worse before it gets better. You need to be prepared for that. So you can't sell this idea that's overly optimistic that we've seen the worst and That's a good point, Fred. Now, I like to think, you know, in our lifetime, we get two or three secular bear markets. The last one from the lost decade from 2000 to 2009 um, was pretty typical of a secular bear market. And then what follows is a secular bull market. I like I'm hoping to think that we're in maybe the first half of this secular bull market. But even within those, you get these perfectly normal cyclical bear markets of 20, 30, 40 percent.
1: Well, and even our clients who, as you said, are are I think they're starting why, to why really let your message sink into their brain and, and they're pretty well trained as far as, you know, don't sell when the market's down, don't get too exuberant when the market's up. But I definitely saw more client requests, or maybe not a request, but a question of should we increase our equity allocation? Maybe even if you know, sometimes right. they want to do it in small increments. Well, maybe just like five percent. Right. And they're they're more concerned about foregone returns. In other words, missing out on, on on high returns from equities, and i don 't get as many requests <laughs> for that nowadays, and now people are more worried about well, should we be a little more conservative right Could it go down further from here, and you know if our client base is doing that, who are constantly basically sending the message not to do those things right I know a lot of people uh, who aren 't constantly bombarded with our messaging. Are actually implementing those strategies, and that's the reason for that poor return that
2: you talked about. It's almost interesting, guys. A year ago, almost a year ago to the day, the types of uh, inquiries we would get from clients was more of how come we have so much in bonds? How come we don't have more in the stock market? Uh, And I wrote in a, a newsletter one or two, or maybe this is in 2017. I remember I was going through them, and I wrote, you know, about the time you ask why we have so much in bonds, you're about to find out and it's this this is the psychology of investing uh when the markets the when their broad markets are going higher and your investment portfolios are increasing at an increasing rate uh we're getting a little bit of uh static on that line um, it's, yeah, maybe I should check out now so okay, well Fred uh i give us your last uh we'll go back to this guys because I think there's a lot of interest in this but uh Kind of give us, uh, Fred, uh, your feeling of res- likelihood of recession, and I'm not asking you to predict, just kind of your, in your experience, do you think we should be worried about a recession this year?
0: Well, I think we should be uh, thinking about, I, I'd call it watchful waiting, but the uh, other thing is that every recession is not the great recession. We have recessions uh, you know, fairly regularly, and often they're just a, a, a moderate disruption, like uh, 2000 and so on so i think that uh we should be not surprised with the recession but there's not a whole lot to do right now anyway even if we knew there was going to be a recession i'm not sure that we should uh readjust our portfolio or anything of that sort so you know, i guess my word would be uh it's not particularly likely but it wouldn't be surprising anyway if it does happen and uh the fact is that uh we'll ride our uh, right through it and won't be a major
2: kind of problem isn't this kind of uh, one of those things areas of psychology where we always seem to be fighting the last war and the last war was really terrible from a recession standpoint and that's fresh in our mind and we can remember it we can't remember as much that the stock market has tripled since then uh but we sure can remember the pain associated with the great recession and that seems to be really typical from a psychology standpoint with investors they're always fighting the last war
0: right and again uh no, no particular sign of a recession, but don't be uh you know really surprised if something happens in the next eighteen months or so, but again, that's not anything uh, that's uh, different from any other time. We always have to be uh, mindful of the fact that uh, things will not continue forever in the same the and, same way
2: and you talk a lot about by the time you see the recession, you know all the damage has probably been done from an investment standpoint
0: right all right, Which Fred, is the idea that uh, okay thank you okay
2: thanks for calling in Fred Uh, we were getting a little distortion there I try to make that work uh, as best we can because I sure respect and appreciate Fred's views and I know a lot of listeners do but uh, it sounds like he was in the midst of traveling probably from the airport to uh, his place in uh, in in the Dallas area anyway we were talking about kind of the psychology of investing Um, it's been a pretty tough I would call it that we've had a bear market or in a bear market I think it's safe to say now there's been a lot of progress just in the last uh, 5, 6, seven, eight trading days where you know technically we're not 20 percent below and the broad US market really never was but small caps were and like I said from a global perspective and even a global portfolio now may be uh, out from under well I wouldn't say we're done with the bear market but from a technical standpoint it's probably not down 20 percent or anywhere near there right now um, and we were talking about how if clients and people that are getting it drilled into them that look at this is just a part of the deal that if you want the lifetime gains of equities, you have to put up with this unpredictability and it's temporary. And again, um, as bothersome as it is, it's still kind of like, well, that 30,000 you think that you lost or 50,000 or for people that have millions and millions, you know, maybe maybe they've seen 100 or $200,000 of their wealth seemingly disappear. It's safe to say that just wait it out, which is one of the, it, it's a simple idea, but it's not easy to do. But if history's any guide, we not only get it back, we get more than we ever thought we
3: would uh, earn on that money. Certainly, and I think that's one of the hardest parts about investing is if you have a, a problem that you run into in, in maybe your work environment, you don't just allow that problem to keep continuing. You, you take action, you do something, you make a change. Where in the case of investing, that's, as you've said, essentially the the worst thing you can do is sell when you have losses. The best thing you can do is ride out the storm, assuming, of course, a few things have been checked, that you're invested properly according to your lifetime needs and that you're, you've looked at your costs already. Assuming that those things are done, the best thing to do is not to sell because, of course, that's when and only when you lock in a loss and you've actually lost money compared to just seeing your account balance fluctuate up or down and and I go back to what David said a couple weeks ago on our last show. He said that you should really look at your account balance as being squishy. Um, and so many people look at your account balance in your investing account and say, the all-time high is my new my new floor, or right. it's almost looked at like a bank account. Like, this is, this is all my money. I shouldn't lose any of it. And, of course, we know that the stock market goes up, it goes down. And when it goes down, we're surprised or disappointed that it's no longer at its high or where it used to be. And so we just get we get frustrated, and then we think, well, I have to lock it in. I have to secure it. And that's when the panic takes over, and you do that selling. Well,
1: and you talked about in your most recent newsletter, which we're going to send out soon, but you had some statistics for like what percentage of time right. e- an account balance is below the all-time high or markets are below their all-time high watermark. Do you it's remember It's about those?
2: three-fourths of the time you're going to be. So once you get anchored, <clears throat> so what I try to do is talk about you know, the first so someone has four hundred thousand dollars, and their kind of their goal becomes or just psychological animals. Okay, it's like, well, I can't wait to get to a half a million, and then they get to five hundred thousand dollars. Now that's their new threshold, their new anchor. Right? It's called anchoring, and now the last thing they want to see now that it's above five hundred thousand that to go below five hundred thousand. When it does, it causes all kinds of anguish, or if it's then it, then it becomes a million dollars, or it, you just fill in the blanks. It's, it's it's all relative. But the reality is almost four out of five, well, 80% of the time or so, you're gonna be in that mode. You're gonna be below what you were anchored to. So if that's gonna bother you, you can just count on basically a life of disappointment. I, there was another uh, statistic I calculated, how much of the time is spent 20% below your all time high or you know your, your threshold that you were excited to get to. Uh, and, and that's about 40% of the time. So look, if, look we have this permanent uptrend basically it's a permanent uptrend in innovation in production of goods that people want to buy they get better they get cheaper you know we live a life today that we couldn't have lived 30 years ago uh, even people with modest means have uh, you know they have luxuries that wouldn't have had just a generation ago and that permanent uptrend, as I as I write about in our newsletter a lot, is basically the capital markets outrun that permanent uptrend on the upside and, downturn, and downside, and it does a lot of it on the downside, but it's still a permanent uptrend, at least it has been historically. Uh, in our business, we always have to be careful from a technical standpoint of not be so forward looking as if it's a given that stock prices will be significantly higher in the future, um, we have to say from a regular, l- regulatory standpoint, past performance is no indication of future results. I think that's absolutely spectacularly true when it comes to if you're trying to pick a money manager that's shot the lights out over the last three years, any expectation that he or she are going to do that in the future. I think that's more where that's born from. Don't rely too much on past performance from there. When we talk about this big picture stuff, we have to, we draw on a hundred or more years of history, which is still a short sample period and from a global perspective. But it's the best that we can do is get some kind of concept of the distribution of future outcomes that we might get, and just not, let's not pretend we know which one it's going to be. It could be very disappointing and it might be spectacular on the upside. But I think it's, I think it's fair to say that there has been historically this permanent uptrend in prices. And in earnings, and the only reason the prices are higher is because the earnings of the great companies of America and the world have continued to increase decade after decade after decade, though i'm sure there's a decade when they didn't so don't don't i'm not trying to be hyper technical here, but over one's lifetime it's certainly been what everybody has lived, and the market the stock market and the capital markets are going to outshoot on the upside and outshoot themselves on the downside they're going to do it excessively amongst the permanent uptrend the problem from an emotionality standpoint is when it's doing it on the downside we focus in on that and that's all we see we with the permanent uptrend is completely blurred out becomes mm-hmm. opaque we can't see it all we see and of course the indes- the financial media from that standpoint uh, I mean they're in the apocalypse to your business I mean they just move from one crisis to another telling you how the world has changed the sky is falling it's not going to get better our best days are behind us and they so think about that pressure cooker for investors they've they've seen their account fall 10 15 20 percent in a period of weeks the last three people on the tv just said we haven't seen anything yet it's going to get worse i've lived through this cycle after cycle after cycle guys the first time i got you know you guys got into this business about a little bit older than i was but not much um my baptism into the first really uh Crisis de jour as far as the media was concerned, but it was it was actual reality in some sense. Was in October of 1987 when between sunup and sundown, the stock the stock prices of the 500 largest companies of, of America fell 22 percent in one day. Uh, and that and and the point I made in my newsletter is uh, I said, who doesn't wish when the stock market, the Dow Jones fell from 2,200 to 1,700, rounded here, who doesn't wish they didn't? borrow money. I'm not suggesting that, but who doesn't wish they would have borrowed money to buy stocks when Dow Jones was at the 1700 level only 30 some odd years ago? Uh, Nobody. And you'll never meet anybody that doesn't wish that they did that. And you never will meet anybody that doesn't wish they do that. Today is always scary, isn't it? It just seems like uh, uh, one of the things, and I don't think you guys have actually seen me do this, but For a while years ago, a prospective client would come in and maybe they were ambivalent about whether they were even going to hire an advisor or not. sometimes they just want affirmation and sometimes I could tell. And they would ask me, they'd tell me their situation and I'd say, look, from the best I can tell, here's a portfolio that I think is sensible and you can go do this at Vanguard. In detail, like a physician's prescription, I gave them, here's how much in this fund, this fund, this fund, and this fund. And I would push it to them and eventually I'd say, is there anything else? And I knew that it was inevitable if I had a husband and a wife that one of them was going to sit there during that awkward moment and say, well, but what is it you do? I go, well, we build portfolios pretty much just like that. Well, why are you telling us what to do for nothing? You're not charging me anything. I'd say, well, I assume you're not one of two types of people. And then they'd say, what's that? I'd say, well, the first group of people that I slide this to and give them to and they walk out with it Before they walk out, they're going to swear in blood that they're going to do it before the day is over. And then they get home and they see somebody on CNBC that tells them the world's coming to an end or we're going to a recession tomorrow by noon or some fill-in-the-blank scary message. And all of a sudden, today becomes too scary to do it. And they swear they're going to do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow becomes today just all over again. And today is always a scary day to implement and take that first step into building this great portfolio and subjecting yourself to unpredictability and fluctuation. But I'm sure you're not one of those two, that person. The other person will actually go out today and they'll go to Vanguard and they'll wire their money and they'll invest in these six or seven or eight funds. And the first time a perfectly normal cyclical correction or downturn happens, they get out and they undo it and they make the big mistake. And I would say, but I'm sure you're not that type of person. Well, I knew I shot one of them right in the head, right? If not both of them or one of those two counts. And the whole point I was trying to get is it's in investing, especially when you get to retirement and that's our specialty is retirement planning. You can, you can expect that to be magnified, right? You guys see it. The minute we don't draw a paycheck and the minute we're not accumulating and we're spending from our assets and we're decumulating, right? Uh, it really turns up that emotional pressure I think and so this is just our way on this show we tried to do it in 2017 going into 2018 in 2018 how many times do we suggest people rebalance how many times did we suggest that investors need to re reexamine their asset allocation and determine if it's aligned with what it is you want to have happened making sure that you didn't have more invested in the unpredictable areas of the world, in the great companies of America and the world, uh, that you can handle and assess, assess, assess. Yet, it causes distress.
3: I think one of the biggest problems is for so many people is you're doing your best with limited knowledge in the field, and so you're you're hoping you're investing the right way, you're hoping that you're following the right things, but a lot of times it's just a hope, and without proper guidance or or a full-on hired advisor, um, it's always a second-guessing game, and that's why I think so many folks who don't have an advisor end up really hurting themselves, and they get only that 2% return, like you mentioned, Paul, during a time where you should have gotten a 7 or 8% return simply because they cannot stay invested during those difficult times, or they made the mistake that could have easily been avoided with a conversation with an advisor.
2: Is there any investing prowess that can overcome poor investor behavior? No, I don't think so. I mean, unless you had a perfect crystal ball. <laughs> well, even, even, well, <laughs> you, even if you had that? a perfect crystal ball, you would doubt it at times. Right. And you would behave badly. I guess the point I'm trying to make is you could be a spectacular investor or really good at minimizing your taxes or you know figuring all that stuff out. But until you, until you conquer that first part of the hierarchy, the biggest part, learning how to behave, it's, it, everything else is just commentary and just isn't going to work.
3: Paul, is this where you say human nature is a failed investor?
4: (laughs) Well, I was about to. Thanks for
2: taking it from me, but I'm glad you guys are learning. But human nature is a failed investor. And I guess, you know, David, you wondered the first time, you know, you kind of heard me meet when you joined me four years ago, four and a half years ago maybe, uh, and you were working at this big, one of the biggest mutual fund companies uh, in the world. Uh, that sat around and all day long talked about investing, investing, investing in technical stuff and you'd hear me talking to clients and you'd say, Dad, you don't really talk much about investing and performance and those things. I said, David, because that, that stuff uh, is almost irrelevant. It's how investors behave with the investments they do own that matters. And I think you guys could, if, there, if you've learned anything from me, that is certainly be, is a, uh, an investment reality, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, because I mean, like you said, you could take a portfolio that had a 10% expected return or eight or whatever that study was, and just through your bad behavior, you you bring it down to a T-bill return. You might as well have bought treasury bills or short-term bonds or something in the first place.
2: Because you only have to really make the big mistake once. And when I talk about the big mistake, I talk about uh, you know uh, mistaking a temporary decline for a permanent one, in other words, Panic takes over, and once panic takes over, that disease can't not be cured, right, after the fact. You have to inoculate it ahead of time. Uh, you only have to do that one time in your life, and you, for the rest of your life, you're going to underperform, because it's, a big, it's that big of a mistake, and that's why I know we blather on and on about the behavioral and the psychological and the emotional side. All, all, those are all kind of describing the same thing, but that's the key that that is the key and i think that's that's we probably spend more time on that with clients than anything and don't you get a sense um when clients or people are somewhat inoculated or effectively inoculated from that they probably still have some fears my guess you guys just because we're not hearing it uh, i don't i personally don't believe it that none of our clients are somehow worried about their financial plan. I, I, I just, I'm just i not that naive.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think some of it just comes down to trust at a certain point. It's just, well, my advisor told me I'm gonna be okay, I have to trust someone, I guess I'm just gonna trust them. I, I don't know if that's the case, that's what I speculate, because I do think, like you said, there's no way we can prove things are gonna get better. There's no way we can prove to a client they won't run out of money in retirement. At the end of the day, it's a little bit of a, a leap of faith and you have to just choose you're going to trust
2: in fact so many times i see investment experts so to speak trying to prove their way out of it they're, they're going from one factoid to another or one statistic to, one, or they want to show you a chart or they want to talk about history in reality that's not going to work uh, you, you guys have heard me say this on the front end of our new client um, you know when we're talking to a prospective client i'll always talk about those pivotal moments that usually come at critical moments Uh, where your emotional uh, short-term financial wants uh, are much different in fact uh, not infrequently in direct opposition to your lifetime financial needs there's these pivotal moments where we can't prove anything that sometimes the clients have to do what we say just because we're their advisor just because we say so and that's really what you're saying is at some point you got to trust somebody, and I have said it uh, more than once. You can either trust the people around you or the things around you and, and do what they're telling you to do or feel like doing, or you can trust me. It's going to be one of those two situations, and I will tell you this, dear clients, whoever you learn listen to at that point, at that pivotal moment, it might be the difference between financial success and financial failure. Ed Bond's in the office. You're not certainly not wanting to just gaze upon us, Ed Bond. You must have some spectacular announcement.
5: No.
2: Oh, I thought you did. Feel free to join us, by the way, because I know you like this stuff. I know you see my tweets every now and then. And, and in fact, I heard you quote some great, wonderful advisor or investment guy last week.
5: <laughs> I think on New Year's Day or something like that, I was talking about... Uh, Professor Rudy, yes. Well, <laughs> how
2: many years have you been listening <laughs> to well, Professor I, Rudy, 30-ish? I 30 came into to kibitz
5: ish? the, uh, you know, listen to the lecture this morning. So.
2: Yeah, well, that's an important, you look, uh, when you, when I started doing this radio show in 1990, I think is what it was, uh, the Dow Jones was at about 3,000. And you have certainly seen me go through
5: a significant number of times where we had significant turbulence, haven't you? Oh, absolutely. And uh, coming in this morning, I was hearing you say about the sky is falling and we're up and down. Uh, today, we're a little bit up, but, uh, you know, overall, I don't know where you want to How do be. you handle it? Uh, as an investor, how do you handle
2: it? Now, this isn't rehearsed. I didn't know Ed was coming in, but I I, I, I just say like it'll invest. go back up. I mean. And what uh, makes, I, what, now, t- take me through that. What makes you feel or believe that, that you know, if I just wait, it's going to go back up and get
5: better? Well, because everybody, as I've heard you say, the you know the great companies of America and the great companies of the world, and you
2: guys didn't think that worked. Now Ed <laughs> Bond is understands it. Instead of calling it the stock market, let's call it that.
5: Well, you know, everybody's goal in going to work is to make money, and you make a product or you uh, you sell a product, and you hope to make money on it. Now, if the market goes down a little bit it's not going to go down and stay down because everybody's going to get up tomorrow morning and go to work and try and make money and something you know like you say it's a more or less a permanent uptrend.
2: And and, and then when they go to work on Monday after a bad report or, or whether it's a recession or not uh, don't you suspect Apple today even though there's this global slowdown is thinking about the next iPhone or two or three and how they're going to make that better and more powerful and hopefully cheaper? Oh,
5: absolutely! Uh, app, uh, Apple and uh, Microsoft. It, it, it's all these companies. This, all is, what, of this them. is what the IBM.
2: Ma- yeah, any of them. And that's really kind of people think I'm this, you know, incurable optimist, and I think everything's going to work out perfectly. That's not what optimism is to me. And Optimism is to me is just a, a view that, given enough time, things tend to work out pretty well, right? And 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 and, and pessimism, though it sells. I mean, if I get on this radio today, Ed and guys, and say, well we're going to have a recession. Uh, it'll probably be played on... Paul Rudy says, you know, uh, maybe it makes Twitter. Uh, genius economist. No, nobody's ever used that, I guess. On me. <laughs> That's for Fred Gertz. Uh, says recession is coming in 2018. If I say it's going to be a depression, they'll put me on TV tonight. So, and if I and if I keep going down... The <coughs> pessimism in crisis cells. It's a lot more interesting than the person that gets on the radio or the TV that says... You know, things are probably getting pretty normal over the next 20 or 30 years. And if there's any, the best guess is uh, the return of the great companies of America and the world are going to be somewhere around 10% compounded annually, if history's any guide. And there's going to be a pretty good amount of fluctuation in between. Uh, it doesn't get a lot of press, does it? No. It, it, it You know, and, and, and that's just the essence. When we think of, of our investments, it's more like a game where there's winners and there's losers and there's teams and it's just more measurable uh You know, there's not a whole lot of excitement about being an orthodontist. I'm not knocking orthodontia, but or being a weather. Well, person your neighbor or,
5: is a dentist.
2: Well, I, I I got a bunch of them. <laughs> uh, you know, I have my fill of those guys in my neighborhood. So, no pun intended. Hundred. Uh, you know, there's dentist. just not a lot of exciting stuff about you know most jobs that are done. But investing is a, is kind of a different caveat, and and. and yeah, I know you're in the media. You're—I wouldn't call you in the financial media, but is my assessment fair that the financial media's mission is to extract our long lifetime or long-term historical perspective from us?
5: I, I guess so. Yeah, and they, uh it some of these you know if it goes down or goes down for several a period of time, it then it becomes a self-fulfilling. It's going to go down. Well, it's going to go down, but then it's going to go up. And I tell people that you put money into an investment over, a, and I learned this from you, I believe, but over a long period of time. And then you can take it out over a long period of time. And maybe you're doing both at the same time, putting it in and taking it out. There, there are advantages, tax-wise, to doing both at the same time.
2: Sometimes there is, uh, but again, it's that it's that lifetime view. But guys, what? And Ed, we get this a lot. Um, look for guys that are in their twenties and thirties, like these guys, and and you, Ed. You know, young guys, you're still putting money in a four hundred one k every uh, pay period. Uh, you invest on a regular basis. You're trying to accumulate. It's. I think it's easier. though it's not. It's not easy. Um, but I think it's a little more when we talk about long term lifetime for accumulators. I think it becomes a little easier and a little more sensible think about the person that just retired uh, in uh, in the middle of last year middle of 2018 Uh, it's not you know look there's a lot worse times as we had a client last week that said reminded us that they retired in 2007 and by the way they're just fine Um, you, you just retire and you walk into this you know bees nest of kind of what goes on in November and December and everybody's sensationalizing this crisis. Um, I, I tell my younger guys, be careful uh, of how we communicate this. In other words, if you look at the 65 year old or the 62 year old and start talking about long term, they think of it a lot differently. I'm not sure it's appropriate, but I don't deal with what's appropriate. I have to deal with the psychological elements of how are they feeling and processing this. And when we're done accumulating, and we're decumulating, uh, we have to be very careful about this long-term word, don't we, guys? You know, we like to use this lifetime. I'm not I'm not criticizing your word, at I think that, is, that it's appropriate, but I think lifetime works better. But that's where we have to remind the newly minted retiree that between the spouse, the two spouses, one of them's going to live maybe 30 years will not be unusual at all. Or even the 75-year-old couple you know, you you have to, of course, the allocation should be appropriate to that person's needs at that time. But even when they suffer uh, some temporary declines, there's still generally plenty of time in their lifetime from a lifetime perspective, where it's still appropriate to put up with a certain level of fluctuation, even when you're in your 70s. And for some, I have clients that are in their mid to upper 80s that are 100% invested in the great companies of America and the world. Now they're not spending any of it and and it tends to be their goal in that case is to I want to maximize the amount I leave my children and people I love and institutions I dearly love.
5: The uh, Going up and down November, December were uh, down months but how about this idea? November and December is when all the companies pay out their dividends and they're paid out in cash dollars well the market is down and if you take those cash dollars and you know, automatically reinvest them to buy more shares you're buying the shares at a lesser price right and the theory that they're gonna come back up well you just bought a whole bunch of shares really inexpensive and they're gonna come up and you're gonna have a lot more yeah there's no question the uh,
2: that the heaviest distributions are in December uh, as a rule and for people that are reinvesting which is a big group of people that uh, certainly get, it certainly is a kind of an autopilot way of saying well i really don't like these low prices even though they're on sale temporarily but as long as they're on ta- sale temporarily might as well buy them again for the accumulators this all makes sense i'm trying to highlight there is a difference between the accumulator and the decumulator we're going to go to john on line one john thanks for calling paul Riggs on the money <laughs> Yes, sir. Thanks
4: for uh, taking my call. Yes, I had a quick question. It's probably simple, but it's probably complicated, too. If I was going to in start investing, even if I had $10 or $20 a month to invest, how could I begin to gain some return higher than the passbook savings?
2: <laughs> well, over what time frame, John? See, that always. there's always a catch, isn't there? So yeah, this money, I'm, I'm, I'm putting probably- away $10 or $20 each time, I'm going to do this for how long?
4: Uh, In my case, it would be a shorter term, but say a new person, a young person just starting out uh, past strapped millennial. So that's two points. One is, for me, as an older person, and two, if somebody's just starting out.
2: So regardless of age, if the money's for a near-term need, it doesn't belong in anything that really fluctuates in any material sense, if at all. So right now the good news is of course I'm going to give you the bad news too. The good news is you can go out and buy CDs now in the 2 to 3% range. The bad news is by the time you pay taxes and inflation does its thing you're still have just signed up for a 0% return. So I I can I don't have anything there's no magic there for someone who's I'm going to put money away whether it's small amounts or large amounts but I really can't I really can't be in a position where I see it decline in value. For the it becomes much easier guys for the millennial Uh, one thought that comes to me is the reason I like Roth IRAs and then you guys can tell me whether this makes sense or not. Uh, The the advantage for young people using Roth IRAs is anybody you can contribute, the contribution portion you can always get to in an emergency. Now the downside is it's real easy to get to and they Mm -hmm. might just undo it but what are your guys' thoughts about people in your age, millennials or whatever you are, uh, even if it's 10 or $20, there's a lot of vehicles today that allow for that. Where, where's your go-to? So interesting call because I had uh,
1: someone call our office phone the other day and ask me almost the same question, except they had, I think it was like a, uh, I can't remember if it was like a whole life insurance policy or something that it paid basically a guaranteed 4% interest rate. And he asked, Well could you guys do better than that? And it's just basically the question that John's asking. And the way I explained it to him is, well, I could tell you investments that have a higher expected return than that, but those types of investments also have the possibility of losing money over any given time frame. So I couldn't ever guarantee that you will earn a higher return than what you're earning right now. So it's now. compared
2: to what sometimes, right? So that's the
1: challenge is you could say, okay, well, what's something higher than you know the interest rate on a savings account or a CD or something like that? Well, yeah, you could put your money in the stock market or you could buy real estate or something like that. But that's such an apples to oranges comparison because if you put your money in the stock market at the beginning of 2018, now you just lost 15 percent or so. If you need it, and I shouldn't say loss. I if should you say need it, you would have lost. Yeah, exactly. Versus you would have got you know your two percent from your CD. So over that one-year time frame, you'd say, well, that was terrible advice, you. So what about the
2: accumulator, the lifetime accumulator who's in their
1: 20s and 30s or even 40s? Well, then the fluctuations don't matter too much as long as you're not selling while it's down. So what vehicle? So then I'd, I'd use a Roth IRA. If you really have that little to save, it means your income's probably pretty low and you're in a low tax bracket. And then I'd vest it in a hundred percent Vanguard Total World Stock ETF, probably. So and you the reason,
2: yeah, oh, go ahead.
1: And the reason I would do that is if I'm investing ten or twenty dollars at a time, I don't want to pay transaction charges. So I'm going to open an account at Vanguard and buy Vanguard ETFs. So it might, might
2: be a, um, a, an account minimum issue now with Schwab and Fidelity having basically total market uh, funds with no fees and no minimums. That might also be another place to look where yep. I can assure you that you're not going to have this. Fee problem or, uh, or or an access to the fund problem because they've now they're not they're doing it I think as lost leaders but hey it's there right and uh, so that's a possibility does that make sense you still there John
4: yeah that's perfect sense and I'm one of those that have that absorbent uh, interest rate return right now off a dumb uh, what is it called variable life insurance policy which I'm glad I'm getting the 4%. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you okay. and and what you said makes a lot of sense.
2: Okay. Hope it works out for you. Uh, you know, these are these are challenging times. I know people feel like they're getting a bad deal in a 2 or 3% CD and I'll say that it's essentially a 0% return. I'm not I'm not poking holes in it and saying it's inappropriate. I remember when CDs were 16%, but the taxation then was at least 40%, so you gave up you know, 6% to taxes, and so now you're down to 10 and inflation was 13 and you were losing 3% a year on your 16% CD. You're not really uh, invited to a lot of parties when you announce that to people that own 16% CDs that they're losing a few percent a year. You're not Mr. Popular. But then again, you guys have never seen me Mr. Popular. (laughs) It's 1056, we have a few minutes. Ed, you got any other uh, observations after listening to this on The Money Show for 30 years or so? (laughs)
5: Well, I just think it's good, stable advice that, uh, you know, don't get too upset about this and don't get too upset about that. And Easy for if, us. I, if I look at my account now and my account many years ago, I'm still doing good.
2: Yeah, staying the course, one thing, it's not uh, always easy and pleasant, but it, given enough time, it works. Well, we were going to go through a lot of New Year's uh, resolutions. We'll get to those next time, but I, I thought... Inappropriate to at least talk about the economy with Dr. Fred, uh, even though it was shortened, Uh, and then to just discuss really kind of what's going on lately from a psychological impact and acknowledge that there is a psychological impact and a physical impact of watching our money seemingly disappear, even though it really isn't. Uh, Ed, we appreciate you. We still got a couple minutes. Uh, You know, I've always enjoyed. You know, know, I I actually would
5: be a guest of the program today, but it's a lot of fun.
2: Well, you know, and I I was just going to say, and of course, people would think this is staged or you're saying that because Ed's a big wig at WDWS. (laughs) But when you take over the morning show, uh, not that I don't like the normal morning show, but it's kind of uh, it's always fun to listen to your show when you're actually doing it for two or three days at the end of the year and filling in. Uh, It's just a different personality and a different perspective. And uh, you're kind of generally this behind-the-scenes person, uh, you know, putting a lot of the glue on things and making things work around here. Um, But I I always get a chuckle when you and I talk, uh, whether it's before the show or after the show. Uh, It's clear to me that you're one of the people that certainly get it. Well, thank you. Uh, I don't have my magic clock, but on my Apple watch, it says 1058, so I think we're pretty good with time. Uh, so in summary, guys, I'm sorry, I probably ran over you guys a lot. We didn't really get to the material we planned on getting to, but I think this is a serious issue. And uh, I guess I would encourage people that uh, to fight their emotional urge to somehow undo what you're perfectly doing and uh, just stay the course, and I know it's harder than it is. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening to Paul Rudy's on the Money.
1: Join us for the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for Paul Rudy's on the Money. Views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. This is News Talk fourteen hundred W D W S, Champagne Urbana.